Greetings. You're listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast, and this is episode number 20. Greetings, everyone. I am so pleased to be here, but I'm even more pleased about how much you enjoyed last week's episode, which was the first in a three-part series about the role of low mood and depression in preventing us from living our best lives. The response has been overwhelming and I'm so pleased that we are beginning to tackle subjects that get in the way of us being able to live our best lives. Last week, I spoke about low mood and depression in our personal lives. I looked at the differences between low mood and depression and I also looked at the kinds of presentations that are typical to both conditions. I also looked at some of the things you can do to give yourself a chance to take back control of your mind and in so doing, take back control of your life. This week, in the second part of the three-part series, I'm going to be looking at depression and work and in particular, the kinds of things you need to be aware of when you have depression and you are trying to hold down a job. Now, some people might be saying, well, what does this have to do with living your best life in Africa or in a hot country of your choice? Well, the reality is that there are lots of people who still need to hold down their day job so that they can use that job as a platform from which to launch their side hustle or the project that's going to make them their new money so that they can begin planning to live their best lives. So a lot of people are holding down day jobs for that purpose. And that's the reason why I want to deal with this subject. Because if you're suffering from low mood and depression at work, then you need to know how to manage that so that you can continue to hold down that job and have that job as part of your long-term plans. Now, the first thing that I want to say to you is that if you're holding down a job and you're suffering from low mood and depression, remember, low mood are feelings of anxiety and situational stress that can stay around for a period of between hours and days. But when we're talking about depression then you're talking about all kinds of anxieties and feelings and just a feeling of hopelessness and helplessness that will stay around for at least two weeks solid and then beyond. And if you want to know the full definitions, then you will need to go back and listen to episode one, which is podcast number 19 in the back issues. So just go back and listen because I don't really want to take up a lot of time going into full definitions. 
But what I do want to say is that if you're suffering from low mood and depression and you're holding down a job, then you're not alone. The health and safety executive research showed that in 2017, there were 12.5 million absence days due to stress, anxiety and depression. But health professionals and researchers believe that this is only the tip of the iceberg because workers would rather tell their bosses that they have anything other than depression. And you'll be surprised at some of the conditions workers will say that they have. Things that you ordinarily wouldn't talk about, but they'd rather talk about those conditions and invent those conditions as a problem than to say they have depression. One of the most common things that can happen to you when you're dealing with depression at work is that you can suffer from anxiety at best and anxiety leading to panic attacks, which is probably the worst thing that can happen to you. Because when you suffer a panic attack as a consequence of your depression being in an active phase, it's likely to be one of the first times that your colleague or your manager will have witnessed your vulnerability. And that experience right there is going to feel like one of the worst experiences of your life. Because after recovering from your attack, you're going to feel overwhelmed at the thought of what questions might be asked of you and what explanations you'll have to give to put people back in their place of ignoring you. And you're also going to overthink questions about whether people are questioning your professionalism or your ability to do your job after seeing you in that vulnerable state. What's worse is that depression at work is a hidden condition. It's not like being in a wheelchair or having other types of visible disabilities, which research has shown are more likely to foster an automatic sympathetic and supportive response from your colleagues. Depression is also not visible in a way that encourages people to ask what they can do to help you. And when you're struggling to understand the condition yourself, it can be doubly difficult to explain the symptoms and the impact of your depression to other people. It's also important to understand two likely impacts on you after having an attack at work. The first impact is absenteeism. When you're dealing with the real and imagined consequences of your attack, which makes you feel that you can't face going to work or being at work, then your level of absenteeism is likely to increase. And the second impact is that of what we call presenteeism, where you feel like you have to work longer than your contracted hours and you have to try to be the best you've ever been at work to prove to your manager and your colleagues that you're capable of doing your job despite the panic attack they saw you have. Now, neither impact is healthy for you and both are forms of hiding from the reality of your condition. One of the biggest decisions you may likely have to make is whether you come out about your condition to your employer. If you've been struggling with your depression at work 
and you've been hiding your suffering and the impact of your condition on your performance at work, then coming out about your low mood or your depression will seem like the worst possible thing you could do. But what you may not know is that under the social model of disability, meaning that disability is defined as a condition which is made worse by the barriers society puts in place as a reaction to your disability. So under the social model of disability, what you might not know is that depression is defined as a disability because of the impact that depression has on your daily life and your ability to function. There are other mental health conditions which also fall under the disability banner. Conditions like bipolar affective disorders or schizophrenia and other types of mental health conditions are also defined as a disability. And because of that definition of depression as a disability, you have additional rights enshrined in Section 6 of the Equalities Act 2010, which provides a definition of disability as, number one, if you have a physical or mental impairment, and two, that that impairment must have a substantial and long-term adverse effect on your ability to carry out your normal day-to-day activities. It's also important to understand that your disability, in this case, depression, doesn't have to stop you from doing everything. It just has to make what you do, either in your life at home or in your life at work, harder. When the Equality Act talks about a long-term condition, within the meaning of the Equality Act, long-term means any condition that has affected you or is likely to affect you for at least a year. And in this year, it's perfectly acceptable under the Equality Act for your depression to be considered long-term, even if your symptoms are likely to come and go. The Equality Act refers to these types of symptoms that come and go as fluctuating and recurring conditions or fluctuating and recurring symptoms. So, for example, if you've had periods of depression for a few months at a time, but you've also had months in between where your symptoms are more manageable so that together your active symptoms don't last longer than a year, you would still be defined as disabled within the meaning of the Equality Act because your symptoms, although they come and go, they still have a substantial adverse effect when they happen and also your symptoms could happen again. So both those conditions mean that your depression will still be defined as a disability within the meaning of the Equality Act. Your depression or any other mental health condition 
will also be considered long-term if the condition is likely to affect you for the rest of your life. Even if the time frame for the remainder of your life is going to be less than a year. So, for example, if you were suffering from a terminal condition. When you're trying to understand whether your depression should be considered a disability, it's best not to make that assumption from a standpoint of being stable on your medication or at a time when your symptoms are really not causing you a problem. Because if you do that, you're likely to underestimate the impact your condition is having on you. Instead, you should think about your condition and how you felt or are likely to feel and function when you're not taking your medication or when your condition is at its worst. And then use this as the measurement for your depression and whether your depression fits the criteria for being considered a disability. Now, what you may not know is that under the Equality Act, your employer has a legal duty to make reasonable adjustments for you if you have depression and if your depression is considered a disability under the Equality Act. The Human Rights Commission defines reasonable adjustments as changes to your work environment that will allow you, with your disability, to work safely and productively. So you should, with your depression, still be able to go to work and your employer has a legal duty to make some adjustments to your working environment so that you can work safely and productively with your depression. So when it comes to your employer's duty to make reasonable adjustments so that you can keep your job and you can keep working to an acceptable standard, there are some things your employer must, not may, must be seen to be doing to comply with their duty under the Equality Act. So what kinds of things could your employer do to make it easier for you to do your job safely and productively? The first thing to note is that your employer cannot help you if your employer, the company, your boss or your manager is not aware that you have depression. So the first thing you have to do is to let your employer know once you inform your employer about your condition, your employer should know that your condition is classed as a disability under the Equality Act. And as such, your employer should know that they need to have a discussion with you about the reasonable adjustments you're going to need to help you to work safely and productively. Now, you can start this discussion off by writing to your employer to ask for a meeting to talk about your condition. If you need help with what this letter will look like, then inbox me on my social media accounts and I'll send you a draft of a letter that you can adapt and then send to your employer. What you also need to remember 
is that you have as much a responsibility to ask for those reasonable adjustments as your employer has a duty to make those adjustments. And what you ask for must be reasonable. So, for example, that rules out asking to do your job from Malawi, because that's what I'd ask for if that was me or asking to take two weeks off every month so you can go to a hot country of your choice. Because whilst those things would definitely help to do your job more effectively, they're not reasonable. So the rules are clear. Whatever adjustments you ask for, they must be reasonable. But then it begs the question, well, what can you ask for? Well, for example, You can ask your employer to change your hours to make it easier for you to get into work. And that can be helpful, for example, if you find mornings particularly difficult. Under the Equality Act, because your depression is defined as a disability, your employer has to at least listen to your request. And your employer has to provide good business reasons if that reasonable adjustment can't be met. But it's not unreasonable for you to ask your employer to maybe stagger your morning. So instead of starting at 8.30 or 9, maybe start at 10 or 10.30 and work a longer day or take a shorter lunch break. Your employer could also reduce your working hours temporarily or even permanently to accommodate your condition. I know people who have managed to negotiate working term time, for example. So starting at 9.30, half an hour for their lunch and finishing at 3.30. And when the schools are off on holiday, not working that time at all. I know people who have successfully managed to negotiate those kinds of reasonable adjustments because they found that with their depression, school holidays were worse because they made the panic attacks much, much worse because of the overwhelm. So it's not impossible to get those kinds of adjustments. You just need to ask. The worst that can happen is that your employer says no. You've lost nothing. But in saying no, your employer must give good business reasons why that reasonable adjustment can't be met. Another thing your employer could do is to change the place you're expected to work. Let's say, for example, the office you work from is much, much further from your home, but it is possible for you to do your job from an office that's closer then it's not unreasonable for you to request from your employer a change of location so that it makes it easier for you to be able to do your job, do your job safely and to be productive at work. Your employer could also write off some of your sick leave as a disability related absence. Now, the beauty of this is that if your company has a sickness monitoring scheme, what usually happens 
is that you take so many sick days off and then suddenly you're called into a counselling meeting and you're given a counselling about the number of days off sick. And if your number of days off sick continue to persist, then you might find yourself in something like a sickness monitoring programme or a performance absence programme for sickness capability. So if your employer writes off some of your illness as disability-related sickness, meaning that on days when your depression is bad, instead of counting those days as sick, your employer counts them as disability-related absences, then it will mean that the adjustment down of the number of sick days that you've had will buy you some extra time and space before you start to hit up against the company's sickness monitoring programmes. Your employer could also arrange an advocate to support you at work as there are likely to be reviews and meetings about your condition if only to check that everything possible is being done for you, but also to check whether the reasonable adjustments that have been agreed are working or whether the reasonable adjustments that you've agreed are still needed. And sometimes having an advocate with you in those meetings to help you put your points across I know people who have found that really, really supportive and it's much less frightening and overfacing. Now, as we're coming to the end of this edition of the podcast, I just wanted to summarise the things you can do to help yourself to cope with depression at work. Firstly, it can help to understand what's expected of you in your job, such as deadlines and timescales that you're expected to work with. Also, it's good to know which tasks actually raise your anxiety levels. So, for example, making presentations or speaking in public and other aspects of the job where you have to stand and people have to look at you and you almost feel as if they're looking right through you and can see your depression. These types of tasks can usually aggravate your condition. So it's good to know which kinds of tasks can aggravate your condition so that you can take more time to prepare yourself for those tasks or If you're asking for reasonable adjustments, you can work out with your employer for some of these tasks to be removed from you and you then being given additional tasks to cover any tasks that you lose. Next, don't do the thing you would most like to do, which is to withdraw socially at work. Find a level of engagement, no matter how small, that you can feel comfortable with and increase your activity in this area. Whether it's going to your favourite lunch on every day or walking around a local park when you need time out or meeting a friend after work to talk about your day or taking a little exercise. The key is to do these types of activities little and often so you don't feel overwhelmed and instead those activities are helping you to feel like the best you you can feel like on a particular day. 
it's also useful to remember that diagnosed depression is classed as a disability in the workplace. And as such, your employer has some duties and responsibilities to make reasonable adjustments for you to enable you to manage your condition and keep your job. And remember, your employer cannot sack you because you have depression. Your employer may try to sack you for other reasons, and pretend that it's not about the depression. And employers do do that. They know they can't sack you because you've got depression, so they make it about other reasons. So because of this, it pays to understand your employment rights in this area so you can spot an early attempt to corner you into blaming yourself for any alleged impact of your illness on your work colleagues or your job or the performance of the company and all these other reasons that an employer might use to sack you from your job. Remember, depression is a disability and you can't be blamed for its impact on you. It's the same as somebody who is in a wheelchair and unable to get up the stairs to their office. They can't be blamed for the impact of their disability on their inability to perform all of their duties. You should also try to remove all unnecessary stress from your life by assessing both your work and life balance and any other work-related anxieties that might be adding unnecessary stress to your condition. And also, don't be afraid to write reminder notes to help you remember key things you need to do at work. What you're likely to find is that your low mood and depression plays havoc with your memory If you can imagine that without depression, sometimes you've got that much to do that you forget things. So can you imagine when you've got so many depressive thoughts running through your mind, how you're likely to forget certain things? So for me, I think one of the best things that you can do is to write things down. Get yourself or make yourself a to-do list and write down the things that you have to do. Even if that list is long, put everything down there that you have to do so that you don't forget anything. And as you're working through the list, tick things off in order or in order of priority. And that way you can remember what it is you need to do. And it's one less thing for your employer to pick up on if your employer is attempting to give you a hard time because of your depression and or disability. And finally, try to keep in contact with people you trust, even with every bone in your body or every feeling in your mind advising you to do the opposite. Trusted friends at the end of the phone or at a lunch meeting can really do a lot to help you cope. Overall, the key thing that I want to say is don't suffer in silence at work it's likely that you will need that job. And so to have a chance to keep that job and put that job towards your plans to live your best life, then you need to take action to safeguard yourself at work so that you can stay safe in your job and stay productive in your job. 
reach out to someone you trust, and most of all, use your employment rights under the Equality Act to protect yourself at work. You've been listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast. My name is Dr. Asher, and I'm out. Mm -hmm.